Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The editor-in-chief of Raw Story, Buffalo's own Dave Leventhal, joins us. And Dave, uh, it seems there there's no shortage of things to talk about in D.C. Uh, when I booked this at first, I really thought we were going to be talking about a shutdown. Uh, but that shutdown was averted yesterday. How did we get uh, to things running as usual this Sunday morning? I mean, do, do we have about seven hours to go through all the twists and, and turns to get to a what most people thought was a, an almost impossible point? But yet here we are averting a shutdown, at least for, you know, 45 days. And so we're right back in the same place uh, that we were yesterday, right around mid-November. So happy Thanksgiving or something. But really what it came down to is that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was willing to stand up against roughly 20 Republicans in his own caucus and push back against them. They were bound and determined to get some significant, significant budget cuts and were willing to let the government shut down over these cuts. Except Kevin McCarthy was able to convince enough people, including most Democrats, to go ahead and pass what's called a continuing resolution, something that says, all right, we're basically going to fund the government the way that we have been funding it. We're not going to do anything new, and we're going to kick the proverbial can down the road, which is precisely what they did. But there are going to be some significant costs as a result of this, and I suspect we're going to get into that, (laughs) Joe, very soon here. Yeah, I mean, we heard just on Thursday, and we will get to the impeachment inquiry as well, but on Thursday we heard so many of the the Democratic members of the Oversight Committee mentioning the shutdown and the shutdown was going to happen and you know they can't come to an agreement. Where was the agreement? Where were they able to agree to get this plan when, you know, an hour before it was announced, Dave, it seemed like they were, you know, uh, miles apart. What what did what did one side give? How did they get to this 45 day agreement? Well, it was a huge risk for Kevin McCarthy because he had no idea whether Democrats were going to go forward with the idea of a continuing resolution as he proposed it. And and that's ultimately what happened here. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was talking a very different game even a couple of days ago. He was talking about wanting to make sure that there was going to be significant funding for security at the southern border and that there also too were going to be significant spending cuts but not at the level that the far far right wing of the republican party in the u.s house wanted it so in the end he was willing to just pull back from all of that and kind of go against what he was preaching himself in order to just pass something to keep the government open 
for another 45 days, buying the government more time, buying Congress more time to figure out something that's going to be more durable and less temporary. The Senate, too, there was a, a very interesting subplot in all of this. The Senate was generally taking a back seat in these negotiations. But Mitch McConnell, he was very adamant about getting additional funding for Ukraine and the uh, Ukraine's effort against Russia militarily to uh, to be part of this budget agreement. He ultimately got overruled by many of the Republicans in his caucus over in the Senate. And that was a kind of a key and underappreciated element of this all coming together in the end. And, and, and that kind of puts both McCarthy and McConnell, the, the two MCs uh, there in Congress, uh, in, in a very, very tenuous position. I don't think that Mitch McConnell is, uh, despite uh, him having a pretty rocky year, both health-wise and politically, is at any risk of not being the leader in the Senate for the Republicans, but it definitely underscores that uh, he doesn't have full control over his caucus. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy, he's likely going to face uh, what's called a motion to vacate, uh, which is basically an effort by some of the far-right members of his Republican caucus to kick him out of the speakership and no longer make him Speaker of the House. Now, that's going to almost certainly require Democrats to get on board, too, to have the requisite majority vote in order to do that. But we're going to have some serious drama. And Representative Matt Gates of Florida, he was uh, on TV this morning talking to CNN, and he confirmed it. And he told us, uh, my colleague Matt Laszlo here at Raw Story up on Capitol Hill just a couple of days ago, that, that that was a direction he was itching to go in. And it appears that that is going to precisely be the case, particularly given the way that this budget situation worked out over the weekend, Joe. It, there does seem to be so much disagreement on the right side of the aisle within the the Republican Party um, that, you know, was that more of the risk of not getting here than disagreement, be, uh, you know, across the aisle? Yeah, this was always a debate between Republicans or among Republicans, uh, between the, the far right portion of the Republican Party in the House and, and the Kevin McCarthy portion of the Republican Party, if you will. So this has been an intramural affair, really, for the past many, many weeks, as we've been talking about, is there going to be a shutdown? Is there going to be a shutdown? Well, we got our answer, but that's just not the end of the story, is simply because this is, A, a temporary measure, and B, because so many Republicans on that far right wing are so angry and are just utterly unsatisfied with the result here and want to they, they want some blood. They want Kevin McCarthy to step down. They, they want Kevin McCarthy to go away. And they have, if you recall, ever since Kevin McCarthy was running for the speakership when they blocked him and blocked him and blocked him some more. And yet he was still able to do an end around and cobble together enough votes to become speaker in the first place. But their argument is, and very much led by Matt Gates, is that Kevin McCarthy went back and basically welched on promises that he had made to them to, to, to really be incredibly aggressive and, and basically bow to their desires to take some draconian actions to cut the budget, to reel back spending, to go after Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. I mean, they, they had a whole laundry list of different requirements and requests that Kevin McCarthy, at least in principle, was seemingly on board with. But Kevin McCarthy had a decision that he had to make. It was basically, all right, I'm going to play ball with them and 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 go and do what they want me to do, or I'm going to keep the government open. And 
He opted for the latter, again, at great risk, with no guarantees. Democrats ultimately went along with him. And we have this sort of uh, very, very bizarre detente, at least for the time being, as we move forward and try to figure out what the government is going to do next in order to fund the government yet again. So if we had to put odds on it, Dave, what are the odds Kevin McCarthy is still the speaker in 45 days? Well, it's difficult because there are so many variables right now, so not trying to cop out here, but let's put it this way. He's been a survivor twice now. He was a survivor to become speaker in the first place, and a lot of people thought that there was never a chance he was going to become speaker, and he was able to do so. And then nobody thought that he was going to actually be able to get something together here on the House side in order to keep the government open, and yet he has, for better or for worse, you be the judge. But yet, Kevin McCarthy just seems to always find a way, at least this year, to get out of trouble, to find his way out of danger, and and live to fight or politic another day. So I I think that he's going to definitely face some headwinds, but the reason to bet for Kevin McCarthy and in Kevin McCarthy's favor is because no matter what Matt Gates and his group wants to do, it almost certainly is going to require Democratic help. It's going to require the Democratic Party to work with Matt Gates, And there may be very, very little appetite on the D side to work with Matt Gates and his group in order to get Kevin McCarthy, because we're not <laughs> we're not going to have a Democratic Party speaker. They, the Democrats know that. So it would be replacing Kevin McCarthy with somebody who might be even less palatable to Democrats. And that's going to be a non-starter for them. So that is kind of the state of play at this point. But it, it, that's not to say that it won't happen. It, you know, Kevin McCarthy definitely faces some very, very grave headwinds here. And it, it's not going to get better for him anytime soon. That's for sure. So am I viewing this right? It, it seems like you've got some of uh, former President Trump's most vocal supporters are against Kevin McCarthy, though it was former President Trump who pushed for Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. Am I following this correctly? Yeah, and you know that therein lies the, the 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 bizarre, crazy quilt of a coalition that Kevin McCarthy is is leading at this point too. And it, it seems like you know the the enemy of my enemy is my friend, or is that backward or upside down? And every day these sort of internal coalitions are changing, and it kind of speaks to the broader point here about Donald Trump, which is that. Donald Trump sometimes is telegraphing things that are opposite to what other Republicans want. And, and, and sometimes Donald Trump will say one thing and, and then do another. And it would be curious to see if Donald Trump decides that he has lost support in Kevin McCarthy himself. We haven't really heard a whole lot from the former president at this point about this particular acute situation, but I suspect we will. And it's entirely possible, Joe, that he could take a different tack here and, and could say, all right, it's time for Kevin McCarthy to, to leave. And that, that would be something that would be further complicating for the current House Speaker, for sure. Dave, I know we'll get into this with uh, Congressman Nick Langworthy at 11, but we did have the first hearing in the impeachment inquiry. Uh, what happened and what's next? Yeah, that, that was Thursday in the, mi- in the midst and in, in the mix of all the things that were happening with the budget. It was a rollicking and a predictably uh, combative affair, I think it's fair to say. And, you know, did anything truly materially come out of it? 
Not really. Uh, it, it was clear that Republicans uh, on that committee wanted to go forward and, and ask very, very difficult questions about Joe Biden and what he did or did not do as it regarded uh, him getting some sort of financial benefit from the actions in particular of his son, Hunter Biden, and whether Joe Biden did anything that was illegal or unethical. And we didn't really get any concrete answers or evidence, hard evidence, that would lead uh, us to believe firmly that the Joe Biden did do something that was an impeachable offense. Now, there are likely going to be more hearings. There may be evidence yet that comes out that didn't come out in that first hearing. But this, too, is something where in order to impeach any president, take Joe Biden or Donald Trump or anyone out of this, you, you need a majority vote of the U.S. House. And as we just discussed, the House Republicans, who have a very, very slim, just several handful of votes majority, they're a very divided group right now. So even if just a couple, you know, five, six, seven Republicans bleed away from saying that Joe Biden is uh, is deserving of being impeached and that there should be a trial in the Senate, then this is going to go nowhere. And there there could be a vote and Joe Biden is not impeached after that ultimate vote if one ultimately does come to pass because Republicans would not be unified in that. Now, Democrats are not going to vote for that, of course. And so it's going to require basically almost every single Republican to go and believe that Joe Biden deserves to be impeached in order for something to, to happen in, in a material way where Joe Biden does get impeached. Well, that is something we'll be following. Like I said, we'll be talking with uh, Congressman Nick Langworthy. He's on the Oversight Committee. He was at the hearing on Thursday, and we'll talk with him at 11 after the news with Alan. Dave, uh, over the Senate, Dianne Feinstein, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, passed away on Friday. What is her legacy, and what happens to that seat now? Yeah, I mean, she's been in the Senate for three decades, and uh, more than three decades, and the, the past couple of years in particular, she's made a lot of headlines for what she was not able to do. She was in ill health. Uh, there were numerous instances where she was uh, unable to un seemingly understand what she was voting on, what she was even doing. There was a lot of confusion. And then she had some uh, very serious physical health troubles, too, that that, that kept her from uh, even doing her job for several months earlier this year, too. But when you look back at the trajectory of her political life coming from San Francisco and and, and being a, a woman who was able to rise to political power in the 1970s in particular, that was very rare at that time, even for San Francisco. Uh, it, she's somebody who definitely was, by any definition, a, a trailblazer and somebody who, when she died, uh, was the longest serving female member of the U.S. Senate. And so she has a a massive legacy in that regard. She was also to a different kind of politician, maybe a throwback, and that she was, at least as far as Democrats go, more of a centrist, somebody who was willing to work with Republicans, somebody who was willing to cross the aisle, perhaps more so than uh, a lot of her other colleagues, uh, particularly the younger colleagues that uh, she has in, in the U.S. Senate, and, and wasn't such an ideologue as she was somebody who was willing to work in a more practical fashion, even if she was a liberal through and through uh, in many regards. So she casts a very long shadow over the U.S. Senate. And to the question of what happens next, well, Governor Gavin Newsom in California, he said that he is uh, going to uh, appoint somebody, a black woman, to fill that seat. And so we know that that is going to happen. Who that's going to be, we're probably going to find out 
in the next couple of days. It doesn't appear that the seat is going to be open for long. But not to get too technical and too deep in the weeds, but this is important. There's a vacancy on the House Judiciary or rather the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is incredibly key for Joe Biden's ability to appoint people to the federal courts. And if he can't do that and that seat is not going to get filled immediately and it might not even get filled with a Democrat, depending on what the committee itself is going to do, because right now it's a it's an even tie then this could be very troublesome for Joe Biden's agenda, at least in that regard. So that's going to be something as we go forward to keep a very, very close eye on, because that's been one of Joe Biden's areas where he's been able to have a lot of success for his agenda, getting people put on federal courts who are his appointees as opposed to Donald Trump's appointees. Staying in the Senate, uh, Bob Menendez, Senator Bob Menendez, uh, was indicted. I believe that was this week or the end of last week. It's been uh, pretty much uh, a lot of the talk around the Senate, Dave. And uh, you guys have a story on this where you spoke to a few senators about it. We did. Uh, So if you haven't been paying attention to this drama, Senator Bob Menendez, he's a Democrat from New Jersey. He's been indicted and put on trial before for corruption. Hung jury did, did not go to jail, but this is a new situation, which in short involves him having massive stacks of cash and gold bars in his house that prosecutors, federal prosecutors are alleging uh, are, are tantamount to bribery involving the government of Egypt. So he denies everything Menendez does and that he is not guilty of anything and totally innocent. But we went up here at Raw Story to Capitol Hill and asked 12 senators, Republicans and Democrats both, hey, do, do you have stacks of cash in your house? Do, do you keep gold bars in, in your house? And uh, you'll have to read the story, but let's just say that we got a variety of answers from uh, senators. The bottom line is that, no, Bob Menendez is kind of alone in this, too. So a, a singular way of handling one's personal finances, let us say, Joe. We'll have to go to rawstory.com to find that. Dave, um, I know next week you'll be in London. I know Susan and, and Brian want to talk to you about that on Tuesday. Uh, but before that, we have the AFC East showdown in Orchard Park just about two and a half hours away. And let me say, for uh, some of us season ticket holders, it was a nice uh, moneymaker. Um, what do you think is going to happen in in Orchard Park this afternoon. Well, I, I'd love uh, at about 4:15 today the, uh, the the Bills to be leading about uh, 70 to 20, or or maybe <laughs> 37 to three. I'll, I'll take either score, but uh, hey, I'll take two to nothing for for all uh, intents and purposes. But uh, I think the Bills are going to pull this off. Uh, a lot of people are probably not feeling uh, as comfortable playing the Dolphins right now, given how well they're doing relative to the uh, the Raiders or the Commanders, but. I think that the Bills are going to surprise and and really put themselves uh, on the map as uh, the team to beat again if they beat the 3-0 Miami Dolphins. And and Dave, what are the chances it rains in London? Because if if I'm keeping count correctly, the last two away games you've been to, it's rained. Oh, it poured. And uh, so, so I'm kind of hoping that the London fog is going to come in, roll in, and, and just open up. And But at least the weather report right now, a week out, is uh, showing sunny skies. So I, I guess that's a good thing, too. Hey, it might, don't want to get. It might so, rain, but if I'm, again, if I'm correct about your last two away games, you're 2 and 0 uh, in the last year. So 
go, go with what's going. I, I, I wore my uh, Andre Reid jersey to both games. So I guess I'm going to have to wear it again to, to London. That's for sure. I wish I was in Buffalo today, though. Yes. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be one heck of an atmosphere. And uh, I'm with you. I do think that I think the Bills pull it off. I, I, there's a lot of hype around Miami, uh, but you know what? They don't have us in the um, in the sun like they did last year when they beat us. They don't have uh, the whole sideline just baking in the sun for four hours. That that is true, and you know, I mean, I kind of wish it would have would, would have snowed today in Buffalo. In, in one respect, some some of my greatest memories, Bills Dolphin games, where you know you got a, a, a coating of six inches, and, and the Bills won by thirty points. But you know, we'll take what we can get. Sounds like it's going to be a beautiful day in Buffalo, nevertheless. A lot different than last year when they had. Remember when the players had to clean off the field? They were throwing snow away, so uh, Tyler Bass had a clean kick to win the game. The, the best. I'll, I'll I'll take a win any way we can get it. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.